0: Welcome to Forest Hill Church, one church, four campuses. It's great to have all of you here today. Uh, We are beginning a series called Things Unseen. It's looking at the world. Uh, I felt God wanted all of us who are part of the Forest Hill body, the Christians who love him, to know what's going on globally, especially among those who are in the persecuted church. Today is the international day for prayer for the persecuted church. We'll have a prayer service tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll be more specific about that in a little while after our special speaker speaks, and I think you'll want to be a part of it if you're able. Just a couple of quick announcements I want to make. First of all, the So That campaign is at 6.7 million out of 8 million. I want you to praise God for that because that's wonderful. We're at... Around 83% of our goal to build our two new campuses, and if you haven't participated, we still have about 1,000 plus um, outstanding uh, givers who want to give, I think. Please just feel free to fill out the pledge card, give an offering to that specific campaign. The reason we ask for pledge cards is, folks, we are a debt-free church. Did you know that? And we are committed to be a debt-free church. The only way we can build buildings is to know how much we think is coming in in order not to go into debt. So it helps us if you fill out pledge cards. We know things may happen. You may not be able to keep that pledge. We understand that. But if you can, be a part of the campaign so we can reach our $8 million goal, which we think is in near reach if all of us participate as is desired. This Wednesday, My guest will be Hikmat Kashu on this stand in our Man to Man series. Uh, He's going to come. He's uh, going to also speak on this platform next week as a part of the whole Things Unseen series. He's probably the leading Arab New Testament scholar in all of the world. He has a commitment to Christ. He's going to talk about ISIS, Islam, and also how to defend the New Testament against critics who don't believe it's true. It was written by a bunch of dead answers that can answer all of those questions that's Wednesday night at seven o'clock men come invite your men friends and then next week he'll speak to the whole congregation regarding what he has seen worldwide especially in the ISIS crisis and what's going on among the persecuted Christians in the Mideast Also, this series, Marilyn and I will share what happened in India. We just got back on Friday. We think that's an important part of our life's message to give to you. And we'll also have some other special guests during this series to help us understand, again, what's going on in the persecuted church. The series uh, in November will be rooted in the Old Testament book of Obadiah. It's a small little book, but it has some powerful messages. Edom, the country that neighbored Israel, constantly attacked and constantly persecuted Israel. God has some strong words to the nation of Edom about persecuting his people as Jesus had some strong words too about people who would persecute his children. Out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, if you're able, would you please stand? I'll read to you Obadiah verses one through four, the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and the messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring us down to the ground? The Edomites lived in clefts in the rock and come down and then attack the Israelites and go back into their rocks. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you, uh, your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. From Matthew 5, 11 and 12, the words of Jesus Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And finally, from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, Since you also are in one body, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A little over two years ago, a pastor in Iran named Pastor Saeed was arrested by the Iranian Guard. He was thrown into jail because he converted to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior from the Muslim faith. Over the last two years, he has been beaten and persecuted in that prison cell. Here's a picture of Pastor Saeed, a wonderful man of God who did nothing wrong except choose to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior of his life. Since his imprisonment over the last two years, his wife has taken up his cause. Her name is Nagame Abedini. Here's a picture of her with her husband and two beautiful children, Jacob and Rebecca. She has traveled the world and spoken to all different kinds of national leaders, to the UN, demanding the release of her husband. The Iranian government has remained eerily silent, not responding at all to anyone's pleas. Marilyn and I heard her speak last spring, and after hearing her speak, we got to meet her and talk to her. I said, would you ever come to Forest Hill Church? She said, I would love to. So we scheduled it on today. The Day for Prayer for the International Persecuted Church. She is our guest today. Would you rise again and warmly thank uh, Nagme Abedini for being with us today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She is a courageous woman, and you'll hear her story in just a moment. This is her third preaching experience. Now, you know what I go through almost every week, okay? Yes. (laughs) You all right? (laughs) Okay. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for Nagame. We pray with fervor that you would free Pastor Saeed, that you would do so soon, Lord. Bring heartbreak upon the Iranian government and set him free, Lord. Yes. Along with other people they have wrongly imprisoned there. And, Father, give her strength now to speak your words and let her do so powerfully to challenge all of us to remember those who are in prison, persecuted because of their faith, but also, Lord, to hear her words about learning how to abide in you, to rest in you, and you giving her that perfect peace that passes all understanding. To Christ be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, thank you, Pastor David and Marilyn, for having me. I would um, want to say it gets easier, but I get nervous every time. So um, It's actually just the grace of God in my life. Um, I'm Before all of this happened, um, if you look at my speaking records um, from two years, two and a half years ago when Saeed was taken, if you look back, you can't find anything because throughout... You know, high school and college. I just say, you know, just give me an F. uh, But I'm not going to speak in front of anyone. So, it's one of the biggest fears of my life. Has been, by God's grace, it's been. um, God has just carries me through it. And um, airplanes are very. uh, I call them uh, torture chamber or flying tombs um, because I am afraid of them. But I'm also get really sick in them. And, just, um, and so I had to, like, change two planes from Boise, Idaho, down to here. So it was not, um, you know, a pleasant, you know, experience. But so uh, I want to share that. It's just God's grace. You know, um, all my life, I was born in Iran. I was the first few years of my life, I was raised there. Uh, there was a war in Iran. I saw, you know, Iraqi airplanes bomb. Um Houses, and I would go to school, and I would see uh, my fellow uh, friends bombed, their houses bombed, and killed, and all of that, and uh, and so I always struggle with fear and anxiety. I don't know if it came from that, but I've always experienced with it, and to have, and I've always worried about what if this, what's the best, what's the next bad news, and everything um, from uh, health to economy to finances to. Kids, anything you can think of, I worried about. I, um, Saeed would usually ask me to travel with him, and I would say no. I wanted to stay. I, I grew up in Boise, so I ended up coming to the states and have been in Boise, Idaho, for almost thirty years. Um, and so I, I'm a very private person. Uh, would never. Uh, I'm never really um, excited to see the world and see what's out there. I think you know everything looks the same. It's just. You know, I'm not really excited traveler, as Saïd would put it. He's he was always excited to see new things, and which is ironic, actually. The first time I traveled, um, I was couldn't get through the airport because I was thinking, here's Saïd, who's the traveler, stuck in this cell. He was actually in solitary for a while, and uh, here I am, who likes to be in a doesn't like to travel, and here I am traveling, but. But it's God's grace that in the worst time of my life, where I all of a sudden became, my worst fears came to life, and I became a single mom, and everything you could worry about hit me, and um, I didn't even know if Saeed was alive for the first week, and um, didn't know what life was going to look like without him. And at that moment, just everything, I can't explain the deep, dark place that I went to, I remember my mom kneeling down in front of me and just crying and saying, how can I help you? And that moment I realized this is a place that no one can help me. No human being can reach this place. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it was a scary moment of thinking no one can help this deep, anxious despair that I'm feeling. I can't put enough words to it. But, you know, I reached out to Jesus and I cried out and said, God, you have to help me. I have to be i I'm a single mom. I don't have an option to just check out of life right now. And my husband needs me. And, um, you know, I feel like the woman reaching out to Jesus who is bleeding for 12 years. And I just felt this supernatural peace and strength and even joy wash over me. And it's just a miracle that in the hardest, lowest Worst time in my life, and where in my own, normally what I would do is I would close the door, I wouldn't want to see anyone, I wouldn't want to talk about it, I just want to be in my own little uh, uh, bubble of grief, whatever it is. Is where um, the Lord has given me the strength to step out, get on the airplane, stand up in front of people, be open. Uh, not private be public about you know my life has become public Been on. you know it's been on the news Fox News CNN it's been on uh, a lot of international news I will explain more um, but just to uh, have this life where it's no, no longer private and uh, it's God's grace in my life and, uh, and so I want to share um, about that more later but you know, I got a call, um, Said had left in June of 2012. He was um, going back to Iran to start an orphanage. Uh, my story is I was raised here. I was born in Iran, came to the States. I was raised here. In 2001, I went back to Iran to, um, I felt the Lord telling me to go share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus in Iran. And so I left about uh, two months after September 11. And that in itself was also a miracle. When no one wanted to get on an airplane, I got on an airplane and flew into the Middle East, where everyone didn't want to go to the Middle East at that time. And so I didn't know. I just felt God telling me, um, I want to change the world with my love. I want to change the Middle East with with the message of my love. And I didn't know. I was in my mid-20s. What can I do? And my parents also said that. What can you do? You can... You won't be able to make any difference, and you're just in your 20s, and women aren't, you know, you as a woman, you're a second-class citizen, and as a Christian, you're in danger. And, but I just knew, I knew that I had to go. So I went, a year later, I met Saeed in 2002. Long story short, he was an underground church pastor um, of about 100 people in Tehran, the capital. Long story short, within a few years, by 2005, we were pastoring over 1,000 converts, um, from, you know, Islam to Christianity, um, there were, uh, and in over 30 cities, in little house churches, 10, 15 people, just grew really quickly by God's grace. You know, if one Muslim comes to know Christ, it's a miracle. So if for uh, hundreds and hundreds and, you know, all these people to come to know Christ, it was a hand, a hand of God. You can't take any credit for it. God has to move in people's hearts and, and do, do the work. So um, we, all, uh, we were um, under the radar because of the growth. In 2005, Ahmadinejad became president. The persecution for Christians increased, intensified. Said and I decided to leave Iran. We thought because we were under the radar, it would endanger the other Christians if we associate with them. And so we left Iran in 2005, came to the States, had my daughter Rebecca in 2006. She just turned eight. And my son in uh, in 2008. 2009, now Saeed's family lived in Iran, his parents, siblings. And so in 2009, we decided to go back so they could see the grandkids. And um, Iran, we thought Iran's not as maybe not focus on Christianity. There was some kind of a, a political turmoil. I don't know if you know about the Green Movement and all that. So we went back in 2009, and as we were leaving um, uh, at the airport, uh, Saeed was arrested. He wasn't put in prison, but he was, uh, the kids and I, he, he told us to leave, so the kids and I left. He was, he was put uh, under house arrest with his parents, and he was questioned for a few months. And the government told him, you know, you're not doing house church anymore. Don't touch that movement, don't start another movement. But we need help, we need humanitarian help. If you, um, and so they made a deal that Saeed would be able to travel back and forth to Iran, uh, and um, if he didn't touch the house churches and helped. So that's uh, Saeed's father had a land from his father in the north of Iran, and at that time, um, Saeed was a stay at home dad, and I was working just the normal job and so we thought with minimum money we didn't have a ministry with minimum investment what can we do so we had that house we could just put a few hundred dollars here a few hundred dollars there and fix that house to be an orphanage and um, and so it was coming along the building was coming along we had uh, the government of iran had approved five board members we had to have one more approved and so it was just happening slowly but it was happening actually the kids and i went back to iran in 2011 Um, because we thought the orphanage would be uh, open, but it wasn't. So in 2012, Said ended up in June, you know, he he said his goodbye, went back to Iran. And uh, July of 2012, he was supposed to come back. He called me. He said, they're not letting me leave the country. They have some questions. And we thought, they're going to ask him questions like last time. He's going to come home. Well, in September, I got a call from his mom crying and just hysterical. She said, they've taken him. We don't know where they've taken him. We don't know if he's alive. Just five revolutionary guards attacked the house. He was staying out with his parents and took him in the most horrific way. And if you don't know, revolutionary guards in Iran are considered the um, more most radical group. They're um, considered terrorist group by a lot of nations, consider them terrorist groups. And so he was taken by them. And I want to share this really quick. When he was taken... I didn't know if he was alive, and um, and that's the part where I, my world fell apart, and Jesus just came and gave me this peace. But the Lord reminded me of two stories um, to calm my nerves, and I haven't shared this on the previous services, but one of them was our wedding. Um, our wedding, you know, I wanted a private small wedding, th- maybe 20, 30 people, maybe a f- few of them. Uh, my family wasn't in Iran any longer, so they would fly in. Well, uh, Said said, "Let's go tell the government we're Christian." Commerce. We went to. I said no, and after doing my first job as a fiancé wife, arguing, and then finally I agree, <laughs> but you know I, I don't I recommend that route. But so you know. But then we we got approval to have our wedding, and I was thinking private, small. Well, Said printed. I should have known he printed like 600, 700 invitations. I'm thinking what. Why are you doing that? And you know, you see something and it doesn't click until later. I was like, why is he having and ordering so many wedding invitations? And well, he was thinking, I have a government approval to have a wedding at a church, I have a venue. And he had these house church leaders make 300 Jesus films and Bibles, uh, these favors that were wrapped. And in these, uh, and there were beautiful ribbons and flowers. And so our wedding comes. I'm here. 600 people show up, not 30, not private. Um, uh, people are, you know, passing out wedding favors with our Jesus films and Bibles. And sites up on the pulpit talking about his how he found Christ. And I'm just, when my wedding dress, just, just looking at him. And, <laughs> and somehow he he got a choir going in a few weeks. I don't know how he did it. Um, but I don't think they were very good, but they were singing. Worship music is being blasted out into the street. In fr- um, we're in Central, it's called, it was called the Central Church, um, right in front of the, one of the largest mosques, right by Tehran University. Revolutionary guards are circling the church. People are getting Bible sites talking about Jesus. Um, worship is blasted out. And my wedding photographer was Muslim, and he came to me and said, They're going to arrest you. At your wedding, do you realize you're going to get arrested? This is not. He was really scared, and um, and the Lord reminded me of that because we didn't get arrested. The revolutionary guards were circling the church, but we didn't get arrested. And uh, the Lord reminded me that I protected you. It was not your time to be arrested. And another quick story I want to share. Right around the time we were married, one uh, one day around noon, we got a phone call from. One of our house church leader, he said, I'm really scared. I've been followed all day. I believe something bad is about to happen to me. And so Said and I, Said said, we'll come around your house around midnight. So we went to his house around midnight. As soon as we knocked on his door, these revolutionary guards came and attacked us and took a, put us on, in these cars, took us down this alley to this interrogation place. And it was room after room after room after room of interrogation. And um, finally, from midnight to like 3 in the morning, we were passed to this top interrogator. I'm sitting here, Said's next to me, and the house church leader's next to Said, and the interrogator's in front of us, and I, we have these revolutionary guards around us with guns pointed to our head. And, um, and the, uh, I was the first person online, and the uh, revolutionary, the head of that place, the boss, said. It's, if you say you're Muslim, you go free right now. If you say you're Christian, you will die. And he looked at me with fear, intent for me to be all fearful and deny my faith. And I, uh, for that second, I felt in my, um, okay, I've grown, you know, I've, I've, I know Christ. I've gone to church. I've read my Bible. But how real is Jesus? I don't know how to explain it, but it was a moment of, okay, Jesus, are you real? this is real. This is my life. This is, And he looked at me, said, you will be tortured, you will be raped, you will die, and you won't be in the same prison. It's actually interesting. For a moment, I uh, it just he said, you'll be in a woman's prison, Saeed will be in a men's prison. And I realized, yeah, that's right, we'll be separate. So anyway, so the fear, and the Lord just put on my heart, um, don't deny me and I will deliver you. And I opened my mouth, and I was very afraid, but I just opened my mouth, and the Lord helped me to say I'm a Christian. And long story short, Um, I don't know why I felt to share that in this service, but long story short, um, the Revolutionary Guard heard my story, got angry, closed my case, he said, you're done, heard Saeed's story, which Saeed was born, raised in Iran, was a radical Muslim, he was being recruited by hardliners, Uh, he was um, about to kill a Christian pastor who he had served he had heard say jesus was lord he said he said had wanted to take, kill this pastor before god does this amazing change in his heart he became from a vessel of uh, hate to a vessel of love where he's at in prison right now loving those who are hurting him hugging his enemies blessing them giving his life he went there to serve orphans and so uh, he had one night he questioned if the bible was true if the Bible was true, then why would Jesus say he's coming back soon? And it had been 2,000 years and Jesus was not back. So one night he was he, he was uh, uh, questioning, "Who is the Bible true? Is Jesus real? And he heard a voice say, Said, I'm coming back soon. Go preach my gospel. He slept. He woke up again. He heard the voice say again, Said, I'm coming back soon. Go preach my gospel. The third night was such a loud voice and and light, and he just woke up, and he was shaking and said, I will do it. Amen, amen, and he saw the back of Jesus walking away. So this is his testimony, and I met him two years after that. I met him in 2002, and he was passionate, talking about Christ, coming back, and sharing the gospel, and that's how I met him. So he was explaining this to the Revolutionary Guard, and the Revolutionary Guard was getting angrier and angrier because he, he said, you were not westernized like Nagme you grew up here, you were a strong Muslim, why would you why would you walk away? He was getting very angry, and I thought it was like Stephen, he was about to stone us. And I was like, Lord, you, did I hear right? You said you're going to protect me, and this man's getting angrier. Long story short, he took, he told the guards to take us to prison, and as they were taking us, um, he said, stop. There was, he was, had a struggle within his heart, and he said, stop, I need to talk to you. He took Saeed to the courtyard, and we could see from the window, sitting, we were, me and the house church leader sat back down, we could see into the courtyard. They were talking for half an hour, 45 minutes, and uh, and the house church leader says, I hope your husband has wisdom and knows not to evangelize to a revolutionary guard. <laughs> and I'm hearing Saeed, I'm just seeing Saeed talk, and I, I just know his heart. I know what he's doing. And, but I was scared. I said, evangelism to a police is death. And they came out, and this revolutionary guard, this big guard, was sniffling, trying so hard not to cry. And he ripped up our case, our folders that he'd written, and he said, Just go. And um, as we're walking away, he whispers in our ear, He says, Can I have a Bible? And the Lord reminded me of that story. <laughs> And when Saeed was taken, the Lord reminded me of that story because the Lord just used these stories to say, your time is in my hands, is not in, you should have been killed there, you should have been killed, but it's, it wasn't your time. So it just gave me a lot of, the fear left me that Saeed is in the government's hand and is he's not in the government's hand, he's in God's hand. And so, um... As you might know, Said's story, he was last year around this time is actually, so he spent about a, a year in Evan Prison, one of the worst prisons, tortured, beaten, told to deny Christ. The guards, the um, again, revolutionary guards told him that uh, so many uh, young people had been corrupted and followed his example that maybe if he accepted, he went back to Islam, they would follow his example because they said, no matter what we do, they won't deny their faith. They won't deny Christ. And so they were trying to have Said convert back to Islam so they could... Undo the corruption, they called it. And, of course, I wouldn't deny Christ. Um, He was beaten, tortured. It was hard to hear that. The first time his family got to visit him behind the prison uh, window, they saw the glass window. His mom couldn't even get close to him. She saw signs of the beating and how horribly he was doing. Well, um, he was sentenced to eight years, which the Iranian government has said is, doesn't mean anything. They would add on years. There was a pastor recently that had six years. He, as he approached six years imprisonment, they gave him 13 new charges. Uh, his name is Pastor Behnam Irani, and they, uh, including the death penalty for evangelism. So we don't know when Saeed's gonna come out. He's served two out of the eight, but they've said they would add on new charges as he gets closer. But last year, this time, uh, I heard the news exactly on this day of praying for the persecuted. I remember I was getting ready to speak at a church and I got a call saying Saeed had been exiled to another prison. He had led so many people to Christ in the first prison. I didn't even know it was possible, but he was exiled. <laughs> and uh, to Rajoy Shah prison, he was put under murder ward, and, um, and uh, the head of that prison told Saeed that he, he said, there's no way your son can um, lead people to Christ here. These are murderers and rapists who are on death row. If they find out he's a convert, they will kill him. And by God's grace, people start having um, uh, dreams and accepting Christ and asking Saeed about this God. And they, some of them uh, accepted the Lord and start protecting Saeed in that murder ward. Um, he was doing horribly. His health deteriorated. He was had lice Long story short, he was moved to the political ward of, uh, of Rajoy Shah prison. He was recently hospitalized in March of this year, um, and uh, he was beaten. So many people were accepting Christ at the hospital. He was sharing there that he was beaten and put back in the prison. And so that you know, I've, I've been able to tell our government that's he's not trying to be defiant. He has discovered the love, the transforming love of Christ, and he wants, he can't stop sharing it to people who need it, who are desperate, who are hopeless. And so, um, you know, when Saeed, I have a few, I heard Pastor David said I have a few more minutes in this service. Okay. (laughs) Um, I just want to share from John 15, um, because when Saeed was taken, um, and I, I, as I explain, I feel like I reached out to Jesus, and I was just got this peace. But the process, I feel like it was like um, connecting to the vine, abiding. I feel like I'd been a Christian all my life, and I had con- I was in Jesus, but I hadn't. I've had been a believer for almost thirty years, but I hadn't abided in Him. I don't know how to explain it, but for the first time, I felt I was abiding in Him. And uh, I want to explain that process really quick. Um, you know, Jesus says, I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser, every branch. And it continues to say, I'm the vine and the branches, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So it's, a, it's about abiding in him. And verse 9, it says, well, how do you abide in Jesus? He says, abide in my love. Verse 10. It says, how do you abide in his love? This is all theological. Like, for me, everything has to be practical. How do you abide in Jesus? You abide in his love. How do you abide in his love? Where, Where verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments. And you might say, what commandments, Lord? What commandments do you want me to keep so I can abide in you? And Jesus says in verse 12 of John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another. It's such a simple word, but it's so hard. We can't seem to even love the one person next to us. Our families are falling apart. Um, There's so much division in the body of Christ. Loving unconditionally and sacrificially is the hardest thing to do. Without Christ, it's impossible. That's why the world is falling apart. The world doesn't have the solution to all the problems. They don't have the strength to love. And in order to love unconditionally, the first thing you have to do is to get rid of yourself. In order you you want God's source to flow through you, first you have to get rid of yourself. You know, I had been a believer for 30 years, but I trusted every instinct, every emotion, every thought. And recently, only when Saeed was taken, I realized I'm in a fallen nature that's going 180 degrees against God. Every emotion, every thought, the Bible says my heart is evil. My thoughts are to be kept, kept, taken captive. Everything within me is selfish. How dare you do this to me? Why me? Poor me? Um, I have to defend my right. Do you know, I, I've so many, uh, I have so many examples, but where people have really um, said things that I wanted to answer back. And you know how hard it is to hold that back? You feel like you're going to die. You're going to have a heart attack. Paul says, I die daily so you may live. But when you let it out, that person dies around you. When the anger, the words come out, but the death to self is gruesome. It's hard for me. Um, it requires a physical fighting. I have to keep it in. Stop defending myself. I drink coffee, take a hot bath, if I can. Close the door and fight it out with, like you know. I close the door so people don't see I'm talking to myself. But you know, it's just, how dare they? They, you know, it's hard to get over your rights once you know that you know that someone has infringed on that right, and you're in the right, and they're in the wrong. You want everything within you wants to fight back, and the Lord every time says, Nagme, you have no right. You have no right in me. Just give it up, and when I give it up, the anxiety leaves, the anxiety of having to get what I want, and... In the fears, everything leaves, and God just washes me with his love and says, go out, step in obedience, obey my commandments. What is your commandment, Lord? And every time is the same. I don't want to hear it. Uh, every time I go, okay, Lord, let it be different. Let it be that, Nagme, I'm going to use you to discipline that person. And every time is like, me, go love that person. Go wash their feet. And, um, and so... We have that power. The outside world has a flesh that's leading them. Their emotions, their heart, their thoughts, and they don't—they don't know that it's leading them to a life. The Matthew says um, that in, in the book of Matthew that it's a, a wide road of destruction. And the end, there's anxiety and fear and depression because the the flesh is leading, and you're believing it from every little thing. And and um, and in the end, you're not happy anyways. No matter um, what how much money you have. Well, it doesn't matter. The flesh tells you to fall. Walk away from that relationship if it's hurting you, and you walk away. Are you happy now? You go to the next one. Are you happy now? The flesh is lying to you. It's telling you, do this, and you'll be so happy. Take this. Eat this food. Take this drug. And, and then in the end, you're a mess. And the Bible says there's a way that's narrow. And that's the narrow road that the Lord has taught me when Saeed was taking my flesh through a tantrum. I don't want to travel. I don't want to be, and the Lord was like, can you submit to me, Nagmeh? Can you just submit? And that narrow road, it requires the cross. You know, um, I come from a Muslim background, and Muslims don't understand a cross. They say, why would Christians wear a cross? It's a sign of torture. For us, it's a sign of life. This culture in, um, tells us, get rid of the cross. Don't carry it. It will torture you. It's You need to do what's good for you, what's right for you, because it's a sign of death. Don't carry the cross. But that's where our life is found. When we take up our cross, die to ourselves, Jesus says that's the only way to follow him. There's no other way. It requires the cross. But there's life in it for our families, for our community. Uh, you know, when I was uh, growing up in Iran, um, the light... Uh, when the lights would go out and the Iraqi planes would come and bomb, we'd turn on a candle. And guess where everyone gathered? Around the candle. We're called to be the light, not a light. There is, there's, we're not one of the lights. There's only one light. We're called to be the light of the world. And guess what? When a tree has fruits, when there's a candle in darkness, where, guess where everyone ends up at? You know, one thing I love as as a Muslim background believer, um, I always uh, something that always bothered me was why did Islam spread through violence? It did. You read the history. I'm not trying to be judgmental. You read the history. The only way Islam spread was through force. That's how it came to our to Iran, the country I was born in. Uh, it was by force. We were, you know, the Persian kings, King Cyrus, King Darius. They were protector of Israel. They had a different belief. Iranian people, you read the book of Acts, Par- Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. The first people group it mentions in Acts, two were the day of Pentecost. They were from Iran. It's one of the first churches. One of the first Bible schools was right there. And now it's, it's a Muslim country. It happened by force. What's happening with the and uh, with uh, ISIS, you either die or you accept Christ, uh, accept um, Islam. That's how it came to Iran. Six hundred years after Christianity. And but one thing I love about Jesus is, he never forced anyone. He's so beautiful. People ran after him. People would go hungry, and they would multitudes and thousands, and he would actually run away from the crowds and need a break. Never forced himself on anyone because he's so good. He doesn't need to. And when we, we, fall, when we um, abide in him and experience Jesus, that he's calling the church to that deeper walk, deeper experience. When we abide in him, and enjoy him, then, you know, I've had to actually run away from people who've come and said I was in Geneva um, speaking before over 100 nations. Uh, uh, I was actually um, uh, in in the United Nations speaking in front of... uh, over 100 nations and telling them that Jesus is the solution to the problem they're trying to solve. And I was there speaking about sight, but also about Jesus as they heard in their own language. And the Lord, I mean, um, at my lowest, worst time in my life, he has used uh, he's taken me before nations. You have you know, I've been on CNN, Fox News, but have met with government officials, ambassadors. I've spoken, um, I've actually spoken to millions of Iranians over uh, secular news channels like BBC, Farsi, VOA, Persian and told them that Jesus Christ, we're not losing our, our culture if we accept Christ. We're going back to our culture, which was 600 years before Islam. And so I've been able to share the gospel um, with when, at the lowest time in my life with no money to travel, single mom, hardest time in my life and just clinging to jesus and having him take me to nations and governments that would normally never invite a christian to speak to them and to be able to speak the message of christ in venues i would um, never expect i actually a a very um, well-known human rights group in germany has invited me to go speak at the european parliament and also in germany in march these are groups that are not christian they've they these human rights groups they're inviting me uh, to speak about Christ. And it's just an open door I couldn't open on my own. I couldn't have said, okay, you know, uh, this is how I can reach the nations. It's when the Lord does it, you know, he does it. You don't. He uh, He's he not limited in resources. And um, I have many stories to tell you, but I have to end. Um, I just want to leave you with this. Abide in him. And learn, as Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 12:8 through 10, he has a thorn in his side. You all might have something that's hurting you that you want rid of. Like, I want Saeed's imprisonment finished. Get rid of it. I don't want it with me anymore. And um, Paul wants uh, this removed, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's been gracious to me every single morning. This morning, I got up. Saeed's not next to me. I'm a mess, and he gave me the strength and the grace to get up again. Uh, Every morning, his grace is sufficient. And Paul says something I want to leave you with. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But then he says, therefore, I take pleasure. And he says, you know, I take pleasure in going to Hawaii. You know, no, he doesn't say that. He says, (laughs) because that's what you expect. What does Paul take pleasure in? Maybe it's a football game on Sunday. Or, you know, there's something you think about. For me, coffee. But Paul says, "I take pleasure in infirmities. Who takes pleasure when they're sick? When a loved one is sick, who does that? When, in, um, in a reproach, when you're being put down in a relationship, at a job, when you're just, you're, you're just there's reproach, in need, when you're in financial need, physical need, emotional need, whatever it is." in um, persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, I want to encourage you. I believe that the Lord has a message uh, for the body of Christ. Don't run away from your pain and suffering. Allow it to break you. Allow it to help you discover your ultimate weakness and dependency. We're in a culture where it says you have to be in, we are independent, but we're not Those weaknesses, those things that are hurting you, that relationship, that job, whatever it is, it's making you realize you are weak. You need, like when that moment when I, my whole world fell apart and I realized no one can help me. This deep anxiety, deep despair. So all the situation around you, it's making you realize, I'm really weak. And to cling to Jesus, abide in him. and, um, And then the fruit comes and the light comes and the world is transformed. Our country needs that right now. It's getting darker and darker. Our country needs people who are not just preaching Christ. We're living Christ. We're tasting him. We're loving him. He's light. He's, the outside world will jump. In the book of Acts, it says daily people were added to the church. I hear churches are actually people are leaving the church in the last decade. People were daily added to the church because of love and unity. We're not living victorious Christian lives because we haven't learned to die to ourselves and let Christ shine through. And uh, I'm not saying as a way to condemn. I just I discovered it after 30 years of being a Christian, that my flesh was deceiving me. And the only way to let, you know, when I die to myself is when the Lord has taken me before government officials nations. I can't even tell you. We'll take another two hours for me to tell you where I've been, who I've talked to, from New York City, Donald Trump, to, I can't even tell you, from celebrities to government officials, to anyone, how the Lord has t- taken me and said, tell them about me. Tell them about who I am. And, and he can do that. And if he can do it with a girl from Boise, Idaho, who has no uh, experience in speaking, doesn't like traveling, it's a beauty of God of saying, I'm just looking for that one person who just says, I, you do it your way, I submit. And uh, I pray that uh, for our nation. I pray that the Lord would do that. Thank you for having me. And I will ask Pastor David and Marilyn to come and pray for me and our family. Thank you for listening to me for this long. <laughs> God bless you.
2: Thank you.
0: I, I'm not going to let you leave until you share real quickly the letter from yes. Pastor Saeed to your daughter and has such a powerful statement in that, that I've never heard before, Marilyn never heard before, and we want to make sure that you hear it before you leave today.
1: So the third service gets to stay longer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Saeed, Saeed, last time our family was together, my daughter was five. She just turned eight last month. And when Saeed's family visits him in prison, his parents, they say the moment he gets so emotional is when he sees pictures of the kids growing up without him. He's missed three birthdays, and uh, he's a very strong person. For me to hear that he cries and weeps um, over those, you know, missing our family, being with our family, and seeing those precious years from five to eight, and and that he can never get back. That really touches, um, really um, makes me emotional. He wrote a letter on our daughter's eighth birthday that we were able to get um, from prison. He says, my dearest Rebecca Grace, happy eighth birthday. You're growing so fast and becoming more beautiful every day. I praise God for his faithfulness to me every day as I watch from a distance through the prison walls and see you're growing both spiritually and physically. Oh, how I long to see you. I know that you question why you have prayed so many times for my return, and yet I'm not home yet. Now there's a big why in your mind. You're asking why Jesus isn't answering your prayers, and the prayers of all the people around the world praying for my release, and for me to be home with you and our our family. The answer to the why is who? Who is in control? Lord Jesus Christ is in control. I desire for you to learn important lessons during these trying times, lessons that you carry now and for the rest of your life. The answer to the why is who. The confusion of why has all of this happened and why your prayers are not answered is resolved with understanding who is in control. Lord Jesus Christ, our God. God is in control of the whole world, and everything that is happening in it is for his good purpose, for his glory, and will be worked out for our good, Romans 8, 28. Jesus allows me to be kept here for his glory. He's doing something inside each of us and also outside in the world. People die and suffer for their Christian faith all over the world, and some may wonder why. But you should know that the answer of why is who. It is for Jesus. He's worth the price. He has a plan to be glorified through our lives. I want you to read the book of Habakkuk. He had the same questions as you. You see the Lord answered him in Habakkuk 2.3. The vision comes and doesn't delay on time. Wait for it. Mommy and I always had big desires to serve Jesus and had great visions to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. So today we pay a cost because God who created us called us to that. I also want you to know that the answer to all of your prayers is that um, that the answer to all of your prayers is that God is in control. He knows better than us what he's doing in our lives and all around the world. Therefore, declare as Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel 3, if, if this is the case, our God whom we'll serve is, is, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery, uh, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up, and learn as Habakkuk did, and that even if we do not get the results that we're looking for, God is still good, and we will praise His holy name. Habakkuk 3:17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be in, on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord of my God, of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength he will make my feet uh, like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high heels then my dear beloved Rebecca grace I pray that God will bring me back home soon but if not we will sing together as Habakkuk did hallelujah either separated by prison walls or together at home so let, let daddy hear you sing a loud hallelujah that I can hear all the way here in the prison I'm so proud of you, my sweet, courageous daughter. Glory to be to God forever. Daddy.
0: Don't ask why, but who. Mm-hmm. Who's in control of the situation, working mm-hmm. it all together for good. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Nagame will be here with Marilyn and me, and any of you who want to come, just to pray for Pastor Saeed and the persecuted church at large. We can't do a whole lot, but we can pray, can't we? Bombard your legislators too with letters. That helps, doesn't it? Yes. It's one of the things that can help. Free Pastor Saeed, free Pastor Saeed. Write it, folks, and bug them until they don't want to hear from you anymore. It does really help. And Marilyn also has a book out there that's available for you free. Just take one. It's on how to pray for the world. It's something she wrote a couple years ago. It's a powerful book. It's free of charge again, just to help you learn how to pray for the world. And she's going to pray for Nagame in just a second. But before she does, Nagame, our church, the leadership team, was looking for a way to bless you. You don't, you don't get a salary. You're going around the world uh, doing what you're doing, uh, just trying to make ends meet. So we thought the best way we we could help you and your children was to give you a $10,000 check right. to help you do what you need to do for the glory of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Thank you. Uh, We thought you'd approve of that. <laughs> Marilyn, would you pray for Nagame, please?
2: you can see why last spring when David and I met Nagame, we were just prompted not only to continue to pray for her, but we wanted you to hear her story. Um, Since that day, I set my cell phone to go off so that I pray for Saeed every day right at noon for a minute. If you'd be willing to pray for Saeed a minute a day, would you raise your hand? let's just commit to doing this and let's go to God in prayer right now. Father God, I just pray right now with all these beautiful hands raised and people whose hearts have been touched, I pray you would bother us. Just your Holy Spirit would nudge us day and night to remind us to pray for Saeed, whatever he's going through there in prison, that um, you know the moment that he needs prayer and you know when to um, prompt our heart. I also pray for Nagame that you'd continue to Uh, just draw her deeper and deeper into your heart that her abiding would feel like floating and that she would know that she's undergirded by our prayers Lord just again don't give us any rest until he's released from prison we just thank you for the privilege of hearing her story I pray we would leave today with our own faith inspired and our hearts um, recommitted to abiding in you and again just nudge us and warm us and um, bother us and to, to pray until syed is released and we just pray this in jesus name amen
0: let's sing in-